You're now tuned in to the Free Play Media Podcast Network. Hello, Marks, and welcome to another edition of Band from Ringside. This week brought to you by our friends over at Soul Taco. I am your host, Bill Vagy, a.k.a. The Small Package. And as always, sitting next to me, to my right, we have... Two beer, Zach Pullman. How you doing, two beer? Uh, more like two mini beers, Zach Pullman, last night. And I was going to say, you don't look so hot. I am not feeling so hot. <laughs> Are you still hung over at 7.20 at night? It is 7.20 at night, and indeed, yeah. Well, good for you. God bless you. Uh, sitting to his right in a Suplex City shirt, we have Jason Cornelius Bella. What's up, JB? Not much. What's going on? Not much. Uh, and to his right, for the second week in a row, lucky us, we have Tender Mahal. Hello, Tender. Wada. <laughs> <laughs> so as always, uh, as this week and always, we will be peeling back the many layers of pro wrestling, starting with our three count. That was perfect. <laughs> Sam the engineer, everybody. <laughs> All right. So for our one count, uh, two beer, why don't you help us out? Uh, one count definitely has to be that scary motherfucker, Samoa Joe. Yeah, he won the number one contendership at Extreme Rules last Sunday uh, in a five-way match against Finn Balor, Seth Rollins, Roman Reigns, and Bray Wyatt. Um, two of us in this room had it right. Uh, the first one that had it right was... I forget who had it. Tinder. Oh, yeah, Tinder Mahal. And the second one being our resident expert, uh, engineer Sam Hoa Joe, who <laughs> knows absolute nothing, nothing. about wrestling, but uh, he made a good call. So both of them had good weeks on the predictions. Um, what do you think about Samoa Joe being the number one contender? Initial thoughts, uh, Zach? Uh, I'm still convinced that Creative told Vince that we're going to let the big Samoan win it, and they thought they were talking about Reigns. So. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, no, I think it's fantastic. He was my number three uh, whenever I was picking, and that was mostly because I didn't think that he would come away with it. I think if I was choosing based on what I wanted to happen, um, it would have been him, just because I really want to see Brock versus Samoa Joe, especially now after Monday, and that great promo with... Uh, Paul Heyman, where he really came off like a monster. Yeah, we'll get to that in a second. Um, I was I, only one of us in this room had him at a zero percent chance to win, and that was yours truly. So, truly, dumbass. I'm the one that. <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I'm a dumbass. I mean, it did seem kind of unlikely. I guess I was the only one that thought it was unlikely. JCB, what do you think about it? Uh, I said it the night that it happened. I think this is the closest thing we have to a a dream match on this roster as it stands right now, whatever this date is. Um, you're going to have two big boys just getting ready to beat the shit out of each other for 10 or 15 minutes. I pray to God it's not a squash. I would be pissed if it's a squash. But in my mind of minds, Brock wins a physical 15-minute match. It's funny to think about because uh, as recently as WrestleMania, Samoa Joe wasn't even on the card. Right. Samoa Joe was left off the WrestleMania card, and um, I thought that was interesting at the time, but I guess the decision was made that they didn't want him following uh, Hunter out as his lackey during the match versus Seth Rollins. So um, it's definitely a battle of two heavyweights. Oh, yeah. And it's like I said, if this is a squash, this is going to be really disappointing. I wonder how much bigger Lesnar is height-wise than Joe. I mean... Is Joe 6'2"? I don't know. Is he 5'11"? Tinder? Do you know? How big is he? I have no idea. 
I don't think Brock's as tall as you'd think. He's just. I think he's just a massively big guy. I don't think he's necessarily a tall guy. I agree with that. He's got to be six two or six three though. I would right? probably let's just say six three. Samoa Joe is like let's say six foot. So Samoa Joe's an inspired choice. Um, if you ask me, I think it's the most exciting choice. Oh yeah, from easily. a from a Smarks perspective. I mean, he's already Lesnar's already fought Rollins. Uh, he's already fought. Roman, uh, he's never fought find him again. He's never fought Bray Wyatt, but that's not that appealing. Even though I made the case for it last week, I mean, that, that, no, that's what they're to do. You need to stop drinking. Uh, Finn Bell, I'll get right on that. <laughs> and Finn Balor is about half the size of Brock Lesnar, so I think Joe versus Lesnar seems like a prize fight. Yeah, and it it takes away from people that really had a problem with Finn Balor because of the size difference or whatever. Okay, here you go. Now you got two big-ass bulls there. Like I said, they're going to have, a, a hopefully, a nice, solid 10, 15-minute match. Not to mention, it's two nominal heels going against each other rather than a pure baby face. I mean, Joe's a heel, and Lesnar's, I guess, technically, I guess Lesnar kind of exists outside the Not, realm or healer face. Well, at this point, because of uh, what happened on Raw, Joe is the queer heel. Brock is going to get. Did you just say Joe is the queer heel? The queer, clear heel, queer. The clear, clear. You say queer or clear? He's not a queer. queer heel. He's a as in what Barry Bonds used the queer. Yeah, listen, if he was a queer heel, that would be just fine with all of us yeah, here. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, think no problem with the <laughs> We have no problem. No with homophobia queer Not at all. Not at all. Uh, tender. Any thoughts? Well, uh, Samoa Joe is six two, and Brock Lesnar is six three. So there's really no size difference when it comes to height. Um, That's amazing. I think that it's it's a dream match. You know, there's no question about it. You know, you got two guys. You got a submission machine, and you got a UFC just heavyweight champion. So I mean, this is a dream match. I think it'll be great. Hope you know. The only thing you hope for is that you don't see another 15 suplexes. We're out of here kind of match where he just goes in there, suplexes Joe 13, 14, 15 times, and that's it. And Joe just gets squashed. We walk out. You want to see? A competitive match with submissions and you know them throwing each other around. You want it. You want him to treat Samoa Joe like he treated Triple H. Yeah, um, is what you want out of this. But as th- opposed to how he treated Cena at SummerSlam a couple years ago, when he just beat the dog shit out yeah, of him. Yeah, pretty much. Which was basically an extended squash. Which is crazy because Cena beat him when he came back in his first match. Cena beat him clean. I'm still kind of mad about that. It made no sense to Not introduce Brock and have him. Which was an all-time great match. That was a great match and a stiff match between sure. Cena and Lesnar. But it still to this day, I don't know why it made any sense to have Lesnar go over Cena in the first match where Lesnar comes back. But that's just me. I do think, though, with Heyman coming out and cutting that great promo with Joe, which it was Joe's maybe Joe's greatest promo I've ever seen him cut, um, I think it adds to it a lot, and I think it, it puts a little validity that this is going to be a good match and not just a throwaway where he's going to squash him. You know, because Heyman did have a lot of fear and respect for Joe, and obviously he should have. And I think that I think we're going to see a competitive, you know, historic match with those two. So uh, we'll back up for a second. Um, obviously, everybody wants to talk about the segment on Monday night where it was uh, Joe came out and cut a confident promo where he said uh uh actually i'm not mad at lesnar i just want what lesnar wants he goes i want the cush schedule where i only have to show up every once in a while and i don't have to deal with you people all the time that was so perfect he said i want an advocate which was i thought was really cool and uh 
Then Heyman comes out. Heyman puts Joe over massive, talks about how Joe was the worst case scenario for Lesnar and how even though he came out and talked to Balor a couple weeks ago, Joe's the worst case scenario because Joe's the one who has the best chance of beating Lesnar. So in that respect, when Heyman is on, Heyman is the best. There's Easily. no doubt. Easily. Thoughts on that segment, Zach, because I cut you off from it earlier. No, it's fine. The My favorite part of it was just how calculating and calm uh, Joe was and how he just explained very calmly what was going to happen. And he said, something very bad is going to happen to you, and it's going to happen right now, and I just need you to take this message back. And then he just chokes him out. Yeah. Tinder and I were talking about it on the way over here, how it was off mic. Yeah, and off mic. Yeah. So it made it even more, it, it you know, almost kind of felt like a shoot, you know, because it was off mic. And um, yeah, it was just a, a beautifully done thing. I do think based on them building up Joe to be this uh, killer, like he, you know, was in NXT, I think that's fantastic. I think he has, you know, at least a 33 and a third chance of winning uh, against Brock Lesnar, you throw Kurt Angle in the mix and he might have like, you know, an eight and a third percent chance of winning on top of that. Uh, throw in, uh, you know, big Papa pump and you got a uh, 75% <laughs> chance of him taking the universal title. So. He lost me. Yeah. I was going to say you, you just went South on that big Papa pump reference. That's uh, that math promo. Sorry. If you haven't seen it, Google it. It's worth a Google. Is that the one where he calls him a half breed? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he yeah. goes off the rails and does this well, whole math well, bit. So he, sa- he says things we can't say on this podcast. My joke was a little inside. I'm sorry. We are. Okay. <laughs> but we're. Oh, I get it. Okay. Yeah, but we're uncensored. We can say whatever we want. Are we WCW uncensored? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's uncensored. It's interesting that but you, you can't said bleed. That, it's interesting that you said that it seemed like a, it seemed almost like a shoot because I was talking to Tender on the way over here. Uh, even though we tried to save stuff for the pod, we couldn't in the 15 minutes that we were in a car together. Um, it seemed, I'm sure that the crowd thought there was probably a kernel of doubt in the crowd's mind. They're like, what the hell is going on here that they're off mic and still talking? Like that was uh, reality based and a lot of fun. It was fun that they went off mic and that the camera went up to him so he could hear it, but that Joe was still muttering it. JCB. What that did was now, what's the word I'm looking for, reinforces how Joe is this dangerous individual. You know, if you didn't know who Joe was before, now you kind of have an idea in your head like, you know, this guy means business. Because he hasn't been around to the uh, general WWE audience for very long. He right. was around in XT for a minute. Right. And we've talked about this before on earlier podcasts. A lot of the general wrestling fans don't watch NXT. No, and, they don't. And that's your business. Sure. So if you weren't exposed to him in NXT, you didn't know who he was from Impact, this is really the first time you get to see who Samoa Joe really is. And you had to, if you're going to make this move and put him against Brock Lesnar, you got to have him come off super, super strong, and that's what they did. And he seemed terrifying. Hell yeah. Legit. Yeah. yeah. Basically, I'm, on, I'm getting ready to choke you out. There's nothing you could do about it. Let me go ask, tell this to Brock Lesnar. Let me ask you this, Tender Mahal. Uh, what do you think about Joe being on the main roster and really the only finisher that they've 
put over for him has been his submission move and really hasn't done the muscle buster on the main roster at all, unless I'm mistaken. I haven't seen it. Mistaken. Maybe, maybe once. Maybe once. I, I yeah. think they're just trying to get get him past that altogether. I seem to remember him doing the muscle buster in one of his matches with Finn, but I can't remember. I don't think he's done it on the main roster at all. He's never done it to Seth. I, he did it to this guy, Tyson Kidd. I don't think he wrestles anymore. Yeah, he did. I know. <laughs> so, and I'm going to hell. <laughs> I think they'll uh, build it as a super finisher and just he'll pull it out every once in a while. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that's good. You don't really have any guys that do that. You see their finishers over and over and over again. You just get kind of sick of it. And then they get kicked out of. It's like, it'd be cool if one guy had a finisher that no one ever kicked out of and they only used it in big matches when he needs it. But he also has the, uh, what's the name of that finisher? The Coquina, Coquina clutch. clutch. Coquina, that's what I thought. The Coquina clutch. Coquina. The Taz mission, whatever you want to call it. Coquina. Cocaine, cocaine, cocaine. One thing I really love. <laughs> one thing I really loved about the uh, the Smojo promo though was he he tends to yell a lot, which I think when it comes when you're a terrifying presence like Smojo or Brock Lesnar, you don't need to yell. That yelling just, it just goes up and never comes back. You know, you always look at a guy like Jake Roberts. And even you know, even Randy Orton in some of his promos, they don't yell. They're just they're just menacing and terrifying. And I think that he did a great job of, of keeping that even keel, the same tone of voice, and being very scary and very terrifying. And in the the off mic promo when he has him in the corner and he's talking to him about what he's going to do to him, I just thought that was so great because he kept his cool and it was almost like he came off more menacing, more sadistic, more dangerous by not raising his voice. Couldn't it, agree more. It sold that match. I mean, I was psyched. I was sitting with Ken, uh, Kayfabe Kenny and JCB watching that match at your apartment, and um, I was I was down with Joe winning, even though I predicted it wrong. But that promo sold me on that match more than anything I thought could have. When he now did the, I'm psyched for it. When he did the talking smack after, uh, not talking smack, but uh, raw talk or whatever afterwards or whatever, and they just gave him, you know, what do you want to say to Brock Lesnar? That was 30 seconds, and right then he sold me on the match. I was like, I'm re- it's ready to go. Let's get this thing going. And the best part of that, the best part of the part on Monday night was when after he let go of Heyman and all the refs came out to check on him, the crowd was chanting, we want Brock, we want Brock, and Joe picked up the <laughs> microphone and said, and I, I do, do too. too, and threw oh. it down. And that was totally improvised because yeah. he didn't know the crowd was going to say that, and it was the perfect yeah. exclamation point at yeah. the end of it. All right, fellas, uh, that will bring us to our... Two count? Uh, Which I think is going to be just kind of a general discussion of where we're sitting at right now in terms of uh, Shinsuke Nakamura. Is it working? Is it not working on the main roster? And I'll turn to you first, JCB. When Nakamura came up to the main roster, I believe we were at uh, Tinder's apartment, Backlash, and the natural excitement is there. And I looked at everybody, and I remember saying this. Vince can't fuck this up. There's no way Vince can fuck this up. Guess what? Vince is kind of fucking this one up. How so? Two reasons. Number one, they kind of screwed with his uh, his interests. Now you have like the little explosions or whatever, or the, the loud pyro. Mm-hmm. You don't need that. It's it's proven that this works. Don't mess with it. Number one. Okay. Number two. What is happening in ring looks uncomfortable. Like he doesn't know 
how to. I won't, say, I won't say I won't say knows how to wrestle, but he he hasn't figured out the main roster style. Of he knows wrestling. how to wrestle easily. I don't think he knows how to hold it back. I don't think he knows. I'm sure they say on SmackDown, "Hey, go out there. We don't need you to have a five star match. Right. We just need you to go out there and just hold some back for the pay per views." I don't think he thinks like that. What do you think, Tubir? Uh, I think exactly that. It seems like he is intentionally holding back, and that's where I think that sense of you know, being uncomfortable in the ring, which he shouldn't be, um, because he's, you know, a professional. He's been Shinsuke doing it for a long Nakamura. time. He's Shinsuke Nakamura. Uh, and I agree with JCB also. I hate that they're fucking with his entrance because that's arguably the coolest thing about his character is that entrance. Like, why mess with something whenever it works? And I don't like them calling him the artist or oh, the, the rock star. Just, 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 just stop. Although, I'm less worried about where that. It is. Just because, like, when AJ debuted, he was, like, the redneck rookie. Motherfucker's 40 years old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, so that went away. So maybe this bullshit will go away, too. Tinder. Nakamura. Gross. What do you think? I think that it's he's still new. He still hasn't had that big feud yet. He's a new guy on a new roster. It's just going to take some time. we got to be patient. We can't expect this to happen right out of the gate. Like, let's be patient. Let's wait for it to happen right now. SmackDown's all about money in the bank. Let's see what happens after, after money in the bank. Let's go from there. I think that we're all, we all want him to come in and be this champion and have this amazing run right away. It's just, these things take time. There's other guys on the roster. It's going to take a minute. But I think... When it comes to SummerSlam, you'll see he'll have a good match. You'll see what's going to happen. And if after SummerSlam he doesn't have a good match or they don't put him in a top match, then maybe you can have some grievances. But right now, I think it's just a bit too early to to say that he's not being used properly. That's my that's my opinion. So, uh, real quick, um, just I don't want to know if he's going to win Money in the Bank or anything, and we'll keep our Money in the Bank predictions for next week. But it's just one word, and I'm going to put you on the spot. Is SummerSlam? Who is Nakamura fighting at SummerSlam? JCB. Fuck. Uh, Kevin Owens. All right. Tinder. Who do I want to see him fight? No. Who do you think he's going to be fighting? You can give me both, though. Uh, I think we're looking at. I'd love to see him fight. I would love to see him fight Brock Lesnar. Obviously, that's not going to happen. He's that's, on Raw. Yeah, that's not going to happen. That's my dream match. Um, I think you're looking at him fighting maybe. Who's your top heel on SmackDown right now? Owens. Kevin Owens. Owens. So you're probably looking at a Kevin Owens, Shinsuke Nakamura match. Zach. I think they're going to keep AJ with Owens for a little while. Um, it'd be kind of cool to see him go at gender, even though, like. Oh, be- no, no. I don't want to see that. I think it's going to be Cena versus Gender at SummerSlam. SummerSlam, for sure. Because uh, Cena's coming back July 4th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I hope they don't do the <laughs> you know they are. stupid. You know they are. You know they are. USA you versus everything. Are. You know they are. I think actually he's going to be fighting AJ Styles because I think that uh, WWE has learned that you can't put off matches because too much shit can happen. And you get if you have the chance to pull the trigger on the match, on the dream match that you want to happen now, you have to you, you got to do it now. You can't put it off until SummerSlam. Yeah, good point. Good that's, point. That's what I think. No, it, it would make sense. I mean, it's like you said. Because they you, never got Cena Undertaker right. for reasons such as that. Right. 
and they you, oh we can get back to it we can get back to it and then and then you never get never back do. to it right so now, that, that that would be the better match obviously honestly I can see AJ and Kevin Owens rolling into SummerSlam that would be the the trilogy match right. You have Shinsuke Nakamura. And Keep in mind, I also said that the Cavs were going to win in six, and that too. Bray Wyatt, and that Bray Wyatt was going to go over. <laughs> yeah, so that's, see, I, you're more stupid for Bray Wyatt. Than obviously, lost I don't Cleveland. know shit. Uh, let me ask you this though: last point on Nakamura. Is it possible when you look at guys like Nakamura? Or, I won't even put Nakamura in there yet. But when you, when you look at guys like Adam Rose, the Ascension, um, Bailey. Guys and gals, Ooh, we we throwing Bailey underneath the bus on this one. Yeah, I think that it. I think that NXT is kind of its own incubator where the babies don't uh, actually make it when they're taken out. Oh, that was kind of dark. Sorry, mm. I, didn't, yeah, I was about to say, you wasn't trying to. Oh wasn't my trying to talk god, about there, Jesus guys, Christ! <laughs> okay, but I think it's possible that NXT is uh, an environment where it doesn't always work in the bigger arenas because NXT takes places in smaller arenas with a different group of fans. I'm, I'm just, I got to disagree with that. At ultimately Adam Rose is out of the three people you mentioned were, is the only one that really, he didn't even do well at NXT. He was okay. The he Ascension? The Ascension, the longest reigning tag team champs in NXT. Bailey had one of the best matches Men or women in know, NXT history, and, and they've both shit the bed. Okay, but on the look, main roster. Okay, but okay, let's look at the Ascension. The Ascension came from the longest reigning NXT champions to immediately a jobber tag team. Right. Bailey has been so booked so poorly. She got squashed on Extreme Rules, and we're we're looking around. Has like, she or does she just not have it? She can't cut a great promo, but you have. A story there. This is a fan. She's grown up as a fan, oh, yeah. and, now, and now this is her dream being in the in the, a WWE ring. Why not work off that? But she's already won the title. There's no that, okay, no, and that, there's that, nothing that ruined, to work off. Yeah, of. and they ruined that. That's if, another thing that they gave their title too quick. I agree with that totally. What about the vaudevillians? That was, I didn't think that was going to work. That's They were too gimmicky, right? That's that too that, gimmicky. Used, that yeah. was in the nineties. That would have worked. It's too gimmicky. What about uh, where's Ty Dillinger? Gone. No, he's not gone. They haven't, he hasn't been on TV in a while. He's wrestling all the house shows. I was getting ready to say he hasn't been on TV in Has a couple he? weeks. Yeah, I, I didn't watch. Every house I, show. Did, I didn't watch SmackDown. Just kidding. I was just getting ready to say. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you was getting ready to get it. <laughs> all right, now we're gonna go into number three of our three count. All right, so what I want to bring up now is this sportsbusinessdaily.com article that's called uh, Going Gray, Sports TV Viewers Skew Older. And what it basically is is a conversation about how all sports, how their viewers are um, the median age and the mean age of viewers has gotten older and older starting from 2000 and going into 2016. What struck me about this one is that Quote, pro wrestling has seen its median age jump by 26 years since 2000, which means that in 2000, the median age, not the average age, but the median age, and I know that everybody knows what median means, (laughs) in 2000, it was 28, and in 2016, it's 54. 
So does that strike you as odd, or do you have any thoughts about that, JCB? It doesn't strike me as odd because if I'll just use me as an example. Well, because they're J Bell's age, right? <laughs> Man, fuck you. Uh, they're a little one. younger. Yeah, thank you. Uh, no, they're a little younger. Younger. We said younger. Fuck you again. Not, not older. <laughs> <laughs> okay, for my example, 43, I go to shows by myself or with friends or whatever the case may be. Let's say I had, I was a family man, so I have kids. I got the kids wanting to go see Money in the Bank or whatever the case may be. Usually that's what you have in a scenario like this. You have parents taking the kids to go see whatever show that they want to go see. So for me personally, it's not a huge surprise, especially with UFC gaining in popularity. And, you know, cats out of the bag, everybody. We're talking about fake fighting. Quote, hence, the audience is aging and the aging audience isn't watching with their kids. Per WWE's own figures in 2013, only a small percentage of the audience is, quote, parent fans, people who watch because their children do. I know. We probably should have talked about this so I didn't have to shit on your point so hard. No, on you can air. shit on my point. I, don't, I, I, I just don't, I don't agree with it. What I, I think it is is I think that wrestling peaked in 1997, 1998, probably, well, that's when I started watching it. But, and it, and, those of us that started watching it then never went away. Do you have thoughts on this too, Beer? Yeah, and I think we're in an interesting place too, just being in St. Louis because we have such a storied wrestling history. Like, my parents grew up with wrestling at the chase mm-hmm. um, every week. And, you know, guys like Ric Flair and um, they were just around um, St. Louis all the time. So it was a big part of the local culture. And to your point, Back in 96, 97, um, that is, I feel like, when it peaked in popularity because when I was in school, I was a huge mark, and nobody was really into it. Maybe a couple people liked it, watched it, were familiar with it, but then, you know, you started going to school and seeing, like, NWO t-shirts everywhere. You know, it was just, it was pop culture, and since then, it's kind of declined. You know, the PG era, I kind of dropped off, and I don't know that they were getting more PG fans, Um during that PG era. My kids watch because I watch. Um, I don't see a lot of kids joining who didn't grow up with it. Your kids watch because you watch not the other way around. Exactly. Right. Tender? Um, I think it's, you know, I think a lot of the younger crowd is is watching more progressive wrestling, like your New Japans and your uh, Ring of Honors and stuff like that, and not watching the WWE product as much. Maybe the WWE product isn't as cool as it used to be. Because it's a PG product, it's geared towards kids. Um, it's not. It's not geared towards the eight. What is it? Eighteen to thirty-four year old males, like it was in nineteen ninety-seven, ninety-eight, ninety-nine, two thousand, right, and so on. So I just think that you know, I think that you have everyone's getting older. The wrestling's the wrestling's better than it's ever been. Like, if we want to get serious about it, like these guys are better athletes, and they're, the the matches go longer. They're better. There's you know the feuds aren't as aren't as great. I don't think the stories are as good. I agree with that totally. But honestly, though, like if it was geared towards eighteen, nineteen, twenty year old dudes now, like what would it be? Just a bunch of chicks looking at their phones. I mean, you think about it, though. <laughs> if you go back, if you go back and you watch some of that stuff that was geared more towards it, it was like I mean, I remember this angle with uh, Don Marie and Tori. You guys remember this? You were talking about this the other night, and I still can't remember. Okay, it was Don Marie and Tori, and Don Marie was marrying. She was engaged to Tori's father, 
And basically, the only reason she was engaged to Tori's father was to get to Tori. And they basically shot a softcore porno in a hotel room with Don Marie and Tori making out, and Don Marie forcing Tori to get butt-ass naked and make out with her. And they were basically wearing nothing so that she wouldn't marry her father. Tori Wilson? Tori Wilson. That's this was a that's disgusting. This was a <laughs> no. I mean, it, yeah. This, 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 is a, this is a twenty-five minute, twenty-five minute uh, promo video on a pay-per-view. Wow, that would never happen now. It would no. never happen now. No way. I think it's I think it's notable to say that it is the PG era, and I mean, because as much as you want to bring up indie wrestling. Which is a part of it. It's not the main part of it. And what we're talking about is WWE because that controls most of the share. And I think that's interesting that in the PG era, the wrestling fans' age has gone up. But I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing for WWE's bottom line because... That's disposable income. Disposable income. Because it's if you're 45 and you're still in the wrestling, you can pay... For a ticket for WrestleMania weekend, you can go to NXT, you can go to WrestleMania, you can go to the Raw afterwards, you can go to the SmackDown. You might want to dial it down on that WrestleMania weekend. That's that. That's a nice little chunk of change right there. It's a nice little chunk of change, as you know from experience. I didn't pay for it. <laughs> well, I guess now we both shit on each other's points. So You're never mind. Welcome. Hey, let me ask you guys: Have you guys? Uh, oh, that's the end of our three counts. So uh, let me ask you guys something. Have you guys ever been to Soul Taco? Never. Delicious. Best quesadillas I've ever had. Best quesadillas. What's your favorite thing, Zach? I like the spicy pork taco. I, I like me as a quesadilla. Spicy pork tacos. Uh, probably not my favorite. I probably like spicy pork burrito, but they're all good. Uh, if you guys have never been to Soul Taco, I completely recommend it. My wife and I, every time we go to the Loop or every anytime we catch a movie at the Tivoli, we like to go to Soul Taco. Uh, she usually gets a quesadilla. I usually get a burrito. We usually split it down to half. She'll get the bulgogi steak, and I'll get the spicy pork. That's a mouthful. Oh, man. It's the shit, though. It is. It's Nobody, if you ever talk to anybody about Soul Taco, Sam, you ever had Soul Taco? Yeah, Sam's had Soul Taco. He fucking loves these over there nodding. Uh, they have four locations plus a food truck. Uh, they are in St. Louis, Missouri, like I said, on the loop, kind of at the west end of the loop uh, over there by Blueberry Hill. They also have locations in Columbia, Missouri, Champaign, Illinois, and Chicago, Illinois. There's also a food truck that is out at least five times a week. You can check them out on uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they're all over the place. Please go check them out. They're a friend of the show. They're a sponsor of the show. Check out Soul Taco. Fill your face with some delicious Korean barbecue, fusion Mexican style, delicious goddamn food. Now Do yourself a favor. I think I got to go tomorrow because since they're sponsoring the show, I think, you know, just on principle, I got to eat. Oh, I think you should go tomorrow. Yes, I definitely think you should go tomorrow. Uh, thank you, Soul Taco. Guys, check it out. What is the, uh, how do you spell Soul Taco, by the way? S-E-O-U-L Taco. Thank you very much for pointing that there out, Tender Mahal. I would have <laughs> forgotten about that. <laughs> yeah, Soul, like in Seoul, Korea. So uh, we're going to go to some Facebook questions now um, because there's a couple interesting ones that I wanted to check out. Is there a better heel than Miz right now, and should he get a universal title run within the next few years? I'll jump on this one. I mean, 
yeah, you know, Kevin Owens. I think that's the easy question, the front part of that. I mean, he's don't get me wrong. Miz has been a, for the last calendar year, has been one of the top heels yeah. on either show. Uh-huh. No, Nothing wrong with that. Um, I just, I don't know if you he'll ever get a universal championship run. It, it'll, it'll have to be with a face champion. Brock is going is there for the foreseeable future. I've never least. even thought about Miz versus Brock. Okay, more so to my point. It, it, maybe if Roman Reigns beats Brock at next year's WrestleMania, then we can talk about that. But right now, I can't see that happening. He's all about the IC belt, which is good. All right, so Cam Cam Bigelow, friend of the show, says, Over the past 20 years, WWE has developed and pushed four signature gimmick matches. TLC, Hell in a Cell, Elimination Chamber, and Money in the Bank. Which do you think is the best type of match, and more importantly, are any of them better than War Games? I'm going to start with you, Two Bears Act. So, I was never a huge fan of War Games. Um, Me neither. I just I didn't really enjoy it. That was one of my least favorite pay-per-views. I never bought it, never once. Um, out of those four... I think the best has to be money in the bank simply because it is long-term ramifications. It can be a great match on its own. That last year's money in the bank was fantastic. And the thing that was missing that I hopefully happens this year is that anticipation of like when the cash in is going to happen when you do it that night, it's cool. But at the same time, you're wasting the potential of that angle um, for that long. I think uh, Hell in a Cell is probably the most iconic. Some of the best matches that ever happened were Hell in a Cell. Uh, but I think the coolest um, to happen would be the Money in the Bank. Tender. Um, you know, I think Money in the Bank's great because it's a solution to every problem. If somebody gets injured or something happens, you always have that as your backup plan. So it's like a you always have that Money in the Bank as your backup plan, mm-hmm. no matter what. Um... I in terms say, of the actual match, though. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think it matters as much towards the match as the angle. You know what I mean? If the angle is interesting and you have something going towards uh, the, the, the final championship match, I think it's good. Um, I would say I would agree with Money in the Bank being the best. I'm not, I'm not a big cage match guy. I think, and I think, especially in the PG era, it's hard to have a, a good cage match. I think anytime you have a cage match, you got to have blood. Yeah, and with no blood, the cage match is kind of that doesn't serve a purpose anymore. And I think that's where Hell in a Cell kind of falls short. I think Hell in a Cell is kind of living off of two spots, really. Uh, the Taker Mankind spot, or actually two Taker Mankind spots, and then kind of the third craziest one, I guess, would be Shane's a year and a half ago at WrestleMania. I think the minute you put two. two women in a Hell in a Cell, it was over. Just saying. I'm just saying. Come on. He's right. How dare you disrespect the queen in that manner? No, he's right. No way. No, no. Come on. No. JCB. Okay. To answer the question, um, War Games was uh, like a double, essentially, hell in the cell. And, you know, you'd have two guys start. So one team gets the advantage and you go from there. That sounds kind of Elimination Chamber esque. Yes. Okay. Which is probably my least favorite. Money in the Bank is probably the most important. Like Zach said, it has long-term ramifications that if you play it right, 
you can always have a third angle coming out someplace. You know, the anticipation for me when Dolph finally cashed it in, you know, I, I marked out on the couch. I was like, oh, yes, finally, you know, we're getting ready to see this cash in. It was great. Hell in a Cell, like you said, iconic, but it's iconic for those couple matches. TLC is a fancy ladder match. That doesn't really do anything for me. Elimination Chambers just kind of fell flat because, like Tinder was saying, without the blood, it it loses some of its luster. Okay. Money in the Bank is probably my favorite. It's probably the best of the four. And but and War Games just it doesn't really it doesn't the only reason it was good it was because of who was in it versus the concept itself. Yeah, I don't know if Cam Cam Bigelow was saying that War Games was his favorite. I think he just wanted to throw it in there as a long-standing gimmick match, which has been dead well, for yeah, 20 years. Yeah, I was going to say, when we, I don't even remember the last time we've seen it. I agree that Money in the Bank is my favorite because Money in the Bank has such major ramifications. It feels the most important when you're watching it. There's always great spots, especially if Kofi's in it, and we're going to get to our 2010 Money in the Bank pay-per-view here in a second. But... Um, I'd say if you lined all of the Money in the Bank matches up, all the TLC matches, all of the Hell in a Cell matches, and all of the Elimination Chamber matches, and asked for the top five, three of them would be TLC matches, and two of them would be Money in the Bank matches. You're probably right. The first two TLC matches are <coughs> off the charts. I've watched TLC 1 and TLC 2 that were the Hardys versus Edge and Christian versus the Dudleys at least 20 times each. Oh, yeah. And they are two of my favorite matches. They are spot fests, no doubt. But they are crazy spot fests. Yeah, I was going to say it. And if you think about it, you're talking like 1999, 2000, 2001. You're coming, the Dudleys weren't that far removed in the big scheme of things from ECW. Right. They were still doing crazy shit. Right. And that's when WWE was trying to adopt that. So if you're just asking me what my favorite match is out of those four is, I would say it'd be TLC. But Money in the Bank, I get I look more forward to a Money in the Bank pay-per-view than I do to a TLC pay-per-view just because there's only two people that have never cashed in on Money in the Bank. So if you grab that Money in the Bank, you are the next star. And can you guys name the two guys that have never cashed in? Damian Sandow. Yes. And John Cena. That's right. Yes. Very good. Tender. <laughs> uh Okay, so that brings us, we have a little bit of time left to talk about the 2010 Money in the Bank uh, pay-per-view, which was a loaded show. I hope you guys, I hope you as the listeners got a chance to uh, watch it. Uh, the first Money in the Bank was Kofi, Big Show, Kane, Ziggler, Rhodes, Christian, Cody Rhodes, Christian, Matt Hardy, and Drew McIntyre, which I did a little quick search of. Uh, if you count Christian, who's still technically an employee, Cody's the only one who's currently not an employee of WWE. The point. Which might have been, if you asked at that time, you'd probably think that three of them would be dead and Cody would be world champion <laughs> at this point. <laughs> but, Go play. So if I asked you out of uh, out of those guys, I would say that most of them are kind of in the same place in their career. It's not even a joke. Kane's well, gone. Besides Big Show. Besides Big Show, yeah. But Kofi is still an uh, upper mid-carder, which he was at that time. Matt Hardy's still an upper mid-carder. Drew McIntyre is still He's low. with the company, but... He's with, on, he's with the company. He's not getting the push now, but he's not necessarily 
I mean, people are probably more excited about him now coming back to NXT than they were at that time being, quote, the chosen, chosen one, one Yeah, that for Vince. Didn't work for me. As a quick reminder, uh, Kane won that match, which I remember at the time. That was my first pay-per-view watching when I re-entered being a fan. Ugh. And I was like, they gave it to Kane. Kane won this match. Yeah. It was so boring. Yeah, I was going to say, that's... If you want to play, you know, revisionist history, that's where you could have gave it to Cody easily. Tinder and I have talked about this multiple times. Cody Rhodes has been so flagrantly misused over the course of his career in WWE that now he's going over to Japan and getting a chance to really be his own guy, show his have his own character. He's absolutely flourished. This was a golden opportunity for Cody Rhodes to be able to get that ball and, and be able to run with it, and they chose Kane instead. That was just ridiculous. Thoughts on that match, too, Beer? I, I, I thought it was kind of fun just be for personal reasons. I wasn't watching at the time, so I never watched, like, Unmasked Kane. It is fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a little time capsule. That's one reason yeah. I love the network in general. Uh, but I was surprised that Kane got it. Like I didn't look up anything beforehand. I didn't want to. I didn't want to have any spoilers. But I didn't I, either. I was surprised Kane got it too. I was I, like, I, wait I totally minute, forgot about it. Yeah, <laughs> I was like, wait, who wins this? He's gonna get knocked off the ladder. And then he won. And then he cashed in, which right. was the first time that that had ever happened. So first Money in the Bank outside of a WrestleMania, first time. And the only time before Ambrose did it last year that someone cashed in the same night. Right. And um, I thought that was, you know, kind of cool, even though it does remove that angle. And there was two because there was two brands. So you had a Raw and a SmackDown. And I actually enjoyed the second match more. I was going to say the same thing. I enjoyed the second ma- mm-hmm. match more, too, which was Orton, Y2J, Edge, Evan Bourne, John Morrison, The Miz, Mark Henry, and Ted DiBiase. Do you remember that match, Tender? Uh, I do not remember that match. <laughs> it was, uh, it's, it seemed like it told a better story throughout the match. Yeah, because you had, uh, basically it was really centered around Edge and uh, Jericho because that was spilling out of their feud from uh, WrestleMania that year where uh, Edge had won Royal Rumble, lost to Jericho. Well, really looking back on the list... It's well, I don't know. Maybe that's not fair. It seemed like that match was better planned out. I don't know if they had different agents or what, but it seemed like that match was better planned out. Uh, that was a loaded card. That had the Usos. They got no love coming down to the ring. That I mean, it Us- was dead. The Usos silent. with Tamina versus the Hart Dynasty, which was Tyson Kidd and um, what's his face, um, the big dude. Yeah, David Hart Smith. David Hart Smith, who was released, I think, less than six months later. He didn't last very much longer. But Tamina and Natalia were both there. Crazy how that this that time warp is. They don't look like they've changed a bit. No, they really don't. And that was seven years ago. And then uh, they had uh, Jack Swagger versus Rey Mysterio, Alicia Fox versus Eva Torres, Layla versus Kelly Kelly, and Sheamus versus Cena. Which brings us to our This Week in Wrestling, because the end of the Sheamus versus Cena match was, did you see it? Yeah. Where NXT interfered, because it was seven no, it was years... Nexus. Or, oh, I said NXT, yeah, Nexus, sorry. I got you. Nexus interfered, and that was seven years ago tonight, when Nexus interfered on Raw. 
Oh, beat the uh, dog shit out of John Cena. Beat the dog shit out of John Cena. Daniel Bryan got fired for choking out Justin Roberts. <laughs> that was the first time that you ever seen anybody rip up the mat, too. Yeah. Like, take apart the ring. Let's take the... Take everything apart and just destroy everything. That's when you thought, all right, like wrestling's going to change. Like, we're going to go back to just having like this really cool faction, like, kind of remind you of like NWO days sure. where, like, you know, it was, you know, just like they were taken over. And then you slowly learned that that was not going to happen. And they never gave Barrett the belt. Never. never. Biggest mistake ever. Yeah, they really fucked it up. He was unbelievable. I agree. He was, he, he was one of the most over heels since. I mean, maybe since Punk. Do we do we blame John Cena for this one? No. Why? Because John Cena is not the end all be all. No. Why, no, I'm asking JCB. Why would you blame John Cena? Well, I mean, it kind of at that point it it was more for at least for me it was John Cena a bust, and you know defeating the Nexus solo just just should not happen. Okay. Whether it's Vince saying, I want Super Cena to win. Whether it's John saying, hey, I don't want to put these guys over. The next is basically cross John Cena's path. And from that point on, slowly but surely, it dissipated. And you never really heard that much from the Nexus anymore. My question is, who do you blame? Mason Ryan. <laughs> he wasn't in it. Oh, he was in that. He was in Nexus. No, he wasn't. Yeah, he was in the CM Punk Nexus. No. I know, but that was the second group of Nexus. That was not that original group of Nexus. There were seven dudes. It was Bulby, not Bulby Cannon. I can't take a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to make a little quip, you know, make the show funny, give some life. It's it all serious on me. Well, they call me the small package, man. All right, so uh, just to finish it off, seventeen years ago, Bischoff won the WCW Hardcore title from Terry Funk. Seventeen Good years Lord. ago, are you serious? I, I didn't know that till I read it today. Um, <laughs> Triple H won the King of the Ring twenty years ago. I forgot he was he even won the King of the Ring. One year too late because he got punished because of the um, the uh, too Cur- sweet curtain call. Curtain call. Yes, thank you. Yes. And in the <laughs> Well, hold on, hold on, hold on. Last week, I didn't answer that question properly. You asked me about the curtain call. Yeah. And I was kind of befuddled. The curtain call changed this whole business. That was one of the biggest moments in wrestling. Yeah. You don't have any Steve Austin. You don't have, you know, Triple H doesn't, you don't, that character doesn't happen, I don't think, without him having that monkey on his back, you know, that chip on his shoulder, so to speak. And I think that that just revolutionized wrestling the way, it, the way it, everyone does today, like, you know, there's no more really. There's no more kayfabe in wrestling. You know what I mean. Everyone's right. nice. Like no one Undertaker's in it anymore. Right. So I think we have that to look to to say this is why everyone knows wrestling is fake now and it's more entertainment. There would be no entertainment. I don't think if it wasn't for that moment. And just another note: uh, Miz won the second Money in the Bank. I don't think we mentioned that. Uh, and one other historical: twelve years ago today was the Raw draft. John Cena was taken number one in 2005 to Raw. That was here, right? I don't know. You... Oh, yeah, it was here. Remember he came out in that big spirit of St. Louis, Louis jersey? Yeah, 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 yeah. Five dollars to whoever tell me can whoever can tell me was the number one draft pick to SmackDown. What, what year is this? Kurt Angle? 2005. Kurt Angle? No. Undertaker? No. Big Show? Chris Benoit. 
And on that note, we'd like to say thank you to everybody for listening to the band from Ringside. Uh, we would like to thank Free Play Media. We'd like to thank Chris Denman. We'd like to thank Sam Owajo, the engineer. Uh, we'd like to thank Soul Taco for sponsoring this week. Uh, I am Bill Vagy for my co-hosts, Two Beer, JCB, Tender Mahal. We'll see you next week. And just remember, everybody, 